All right, guys. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, I know we've said this every week, but man, this is still a little bit funky. This is a little bit different. Uh, but man, I am so glad that we're able to be doing this together. I sure do miss you guys. I can't say that enough. Not only do I want to give you a hug, I want to be hugged. There's been a few times this week where I just like, man, I need somebody to hug me. Uh, Keely's hugs are pretty good, so I'll take that. Uh, but if you are new with us, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Anthem Church in Camarillo, and uh, we're excited to be live streaming with you guys today. Today, if uh, you don't know, this is Palm Sunday, and so we're as weird as it is not to be together. We are grateful to be celebrating that today, uh, and you'll hear from Eric in a few minutes a little bit more about that. But I want to share with you guys a few things that are going on and how you can be a part. First, if you're not, if you don't have the Anthem app, we want to encourage you to make sure to go and actually download that app because events, push notifications for things like videos, like this live stream, and things like that uh, come through on a regular basis. We also have our Anthem Weekly, which shares the different events that are going on uh, and all of that. So please make sure to get the app or go check out our website at anthemcamarillo.org. It's one of the best ways to help stay in the loop in this time where it's things are kind of different, to say the least. But I want to share with you uh, that, like I said before, this, this week is the start of Holy Week. It's the week where Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's where people are laying down palm fronds and they're shouting out, Hosanna, blessed be the son of David, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, it's a moment 2,000 years ago where, in many regards, it was the beginning of everything changing. Jesus is kind of announced king, but he's going to be a different king as we see and as we know. Uh, that he is going to be one that's going to suffer. You guys know how the story goes. Less than a week, uh, that chant moves from Hosanna, Lord, save us, to crucify him. And on Friday, as a church, we're going to be working through the stations of, a cro of the cross together for Good Friday. Uh, and we've done this in the years past. It's a family gathering style where we have all of the tables together and we're in and slammed together at the Boys and Girls Club and man, our hearts are already lamenting not being able to do that in the same way, shape, and form. Uh, but we are excited to be able to do something a little bit different. And so we've actually parsed out every single one of the stations. And so there's six different folks who are have recorded and who are sending in recordings of walking us through the stations of the cross. And we are going to, on Friday, at various times, uh, walk through the stations of the cross together in virtual groups. And so with that... Uh, it gives you the opportunity actually to register for one of those groups. We really want to encourage you just because we are in this state with COVID-19 and we have to stay well at home uh, doesn't mean that we cannot engage with each other in some way, shape, or form. And so things like our Good Friday gathering are a great opportunity to do that. So if you go onto our events page, you're going to be able to see uh, the event Good Friday. And there, go ahead and click and you can register to be a part of a group. Now, as you're looking at that event on Good Friday, you might notice that there's two events. That's not an accident. There's two events there for Good Friday, and one is for the actual uh, group to register to. The other is for coloring books. Our good friend and our very own Josh Canty, he's an illustrator. He, he actually hand drew these illustrations for us to be able to engage with as we make our way through the Stations of the Cross together. And one of the reasons we do this is because we want Stations of the Cross to be something that we do as a family, not just as adults, but that we actually walk through with our kids. And now, 
we can also slough that off and say, oh, that's for the kids. But we're actually making them so that all of us can have them. But here's the deal. We're going to be taking them to the printer tomorrow. So you have until the end of the day today to actually register and sign up for those coloring books. They're totally free to you. We will get them to you, but we need you to register. So make sure to click on the app below, coloring book registrations, and let us know how many books you'd like at your household, and we would love to get them to you. So please make it a point to join us for Good Friday as we celebrate the crucifixion together. Uh, and of course, what comes after that is Easter. Once again, I don't know if I need to say it again, but it's a funky time. And it's going to be one of the strangest things maybe that I've ever experienced in not being able to gather in person together for Easter. But we are going to nevertheless celebrate and rejoice that our Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. He is risen. And so we're going to celebrate that next week at 930. And we just encourage you, in whatever sphere of influence you have, Right now, there is an openness to people engaging with Jesus or these questions of faith. Would you make it a point this next week to invite a few people, whether it's your neighbors or whether it's your coworker or whoever, to come and join us on the live stream? Again, it's not the same, but it is a great gift from God. It's a blessing to be able to use and help communicate his word, his love, and his grace to all of us. So let's celebrate together next week at 930. So... As I get ready to hand it over uh, to Eric, I just also, I just want us to recognize um, still that we are all in various places and various spots emotionally with everything that's going on uh, with COVID. And man, one, I just want to encourage you uh, to keep on going with with the uh, isolate. Sorry, not just isolation, but with social distancing. Make it a point to continue to do that. Even if you're around people, really take extra time to stay that six feet away and, and work hard to engage with that. And we also want to encourage you to, to follow the CDC and all the orders that are coming through. But with that, we don't want to just ask you to follow the rules. We want, we want to ask you that your heart would be engaged, uh, that, that let your heart lament over some of the things that are happening right now. We might be looking at Ventura County and we're like, oh, things aren't that bad, but Maybe that will change. Maybe it won't. Either way, what's happening globally right now is heavy. It's hard. And it's going to cause an effect if it hasn't already caused a major effect in our lives. And so just for me communicating to you guys, I just, I just want to encourage you guys. Let your anguish, let your grief, let your sorrow, like the psalmist, travel to the Lord. Let him know how you're feeling. Let him know what's going on in your soul. Let him know your frustrations. Let him know... Whatever it is that is going on in you. And at the end, I just want to invite you, like we've been learning in Daniel, in spite of current situations or appearances, God is in control. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to hand it over uh, to Eric, a full-fledged, full six feet away from me, uh, so that he can jump in in just a minute. And so, Jesus, we just come to you. We thank you for this day that you have made. We are so grateful for who you are. And God, we acknowledge that our hearts are all over the place. Some of us has, have parents or in-laws who are either ailing or who are sick themselves. We, many of us, I think of so many of our first responders right now who are engaged 
in the medical field, whether it be Carla or Pat or Brandon or Dave, and I know there's more that I'm, I'm missing, but who are engaged in helping serve and bless those who are infected or who might be infected. And Lord, we pray for your protection over them. We pray for grace. We ask King Jesus that you would be with them and that your love would be flowing through them as they minister to people who are scared, hurt, and dying. And God, would you continue to soften our hearts? We pray that you would protect us against the enemy who wants to develop a, a, a heart of stone. And we just say that's, that's not the heart that you've given us. You have given us a heart of flesh, one that can feel, one that can empathize, one that can respond. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would continue to shape our hearts, that we would respond to you. And Lord, in this moment and in this time as we're gathering together, would you, through your grace, would you minister through your spirit as we engage with your word together? We love you so much. We thank you for what you're doing. God, my heart longs to be together, and we look forward to being able to be together again. And so right now, we also just declare together, in spite of current circumstance or appearance, God, you are in control, and you are good. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Be with us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Eric will be up in just a sec. Well, good morning, church. Uh, I am, again, excited and privileged to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Daniel chapter 3 uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible... Open it to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be covering the whole chapter. Uh, this is just a, uh, we're, we're, we're going to do the fiery furnace this morning, which is part of the greatest hits of every good storybook Bible or children's Bible. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the furnace. And it's just a, a wonderful account uh, of God's grace and God's work in these three men's lives. And, and we have a lot uh, in this text this morning that we're going to uh, get to enjoy together. But as Kevin mentioned, today is Good Friday. Uh, excuse me, not, today is not Good Friday. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday, the, the, the Sunday before Good Friday, before Jesus went to the cross. But on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds are screaming, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, blessed be the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're, they're throwing their coats down on the road. They're waving palm branches. They're screaming for their king. They're ready to coronate Jesus. But just five days later, on Good Friday, uh, those cries of Hosanna have turned now. And the crowds are now screaming, crucify. Crucify him. As they're calling for Jesus to be tortured and executed. The crowds change so quickly. They're so fickle. And it's appropriate that we come to this passage, this text on this Sunday, because what we're going to see is uh, one, of the, one of the main characters in the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a similar fickleness. He changes quickly from the end of chapter 2, giving praise to God, to then demanding praise from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in our passage. Well, let me tell you where we're going, our outline, okay? Uh, this morning, we're talking about worship and fire. And we're going to see, uh, there's four parts to our text, okay? Verses 1 to 7, the king's worship. Verses 8 to 15, the king's fire. Verses 16 to 23, true worship's fire. And verses 24 to 30, the true king. Now, before I read, 
I want to point out a few things that you will hear. Okay, just get ready. In our passage, there's a lot of repetition. Okay, repetition of some funny lists. So you're going to hear lists of, of government officials repeated oh, again and again. You're going to hear repeated a list of instruments, some of them very strange. Okay, I don't know what a trigon is. Maybe you can tell me and message me afterwards and let me know. Uh, you're going to hear repeated the phrase, all peoples, all nations, all languages. But the story is centered around this golden statue, this image, which gets repeated again and again, along with the king's burning, fiery furnace. Lots of reputation that we'll explain later. But be prepared because it can feel a little funny when you actually read it or you hear it read. So with that, uh, buckle up as we dive into this just wonderful passage of scripture. This is Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 30. Hear the word of the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound and walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow. Okay, what a story. What a story. Let me, let me pray and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this word that you have spoken to us now for this time. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts and soften our hearts to receive it. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's dive into verses 1 to 7, the king's worship. As we begin our passage, the action just takes off right from verse 1. But as we work through, we cannot miss the connections to last week. Okay, the king's fickleness is on display. At the end of chapter 2, Kevin showed us this last week, Nebuchadnezzar falls down before Daniel. He, he worships his God. But then this week, he quickly moves to demanding worship of Daniel's friends. He turns. We could say quickly that we notice that, that conviction and conversion are not the same thing. I mean, it almost sounds at the end of chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar, you know, becomes a Christian. He gives his life to Christ, and Daniel's like, I see that hand. But no, no, no. By, by chapter 3, he's turned back again. Okay, conviction and conversion are not the same thing. Now, verse 1, we're told of this, this grotesque statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up in the plains of Dura. 
It's 60 cubits tall and six cubits wide. Okay, that would be 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. This is a very impressive feat of engineering if you think about it. So the king sets up this stature and then he gathers all of his officials, okay, into this giant leadership summit of sorts. We get those lists. He's gathering all of the government officials to come to this, to this big party and check out his statue. There's pomp and circumstance and music and everyone is there from every nation that he's conquered and he wants them to pay homage to him and his legacy by bowing down to this statue. Now we're not actually told if this statue is of King Nebuchadnezzar or maybe of one of his gods like a giant idol, but it really doesn't matter. The point is that they see what he has made. They see what he has done and they bow down and he gets the glory. Now there's a lot of pressure here for the three friends to give in to this idolatry. You know, this whole scene, it offers things that are still alluring to us. Okay, there's, there's an offer of comfort, of, of power and influence, an offer of security. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have been lured in. You know, it's this big party. They, they can belong. They can be a part of the party, a part of the crowd. There's comfort offered. It's also a leadership retreat. You know, there's this offer of, of continued power and influence in the province. But it's also a threat. And so there's this offer. If they just bow down, there's security. As one commentator noted, he said, the prospect of roasting tends to motivate. See, these are all real draws and they lure us into idolatry as well. Comfort, power, influence, security. Well, what's up with all of that repetition? It's actually important because it helps explain what's going on here in our passage. I like the way that Tremper Longman puts it. He says this, he says, the effect is that the whole event seems forced, stilted, pretentious, perhaps comical. And it makes Nebuchadnezzar look controlling and insecure. Maybe you felt that as I, as I read it. He's gathered everyone into a kind of, again, a, a leadership retreat, a leadership summit. And he essentially says, come to me, my kingdom, and bow down to this statue. Let me show you how important I am. Now, in Kevin's teaching last week, we saw Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream of this, this statue, okay? It has a, a head of gold, shoulders, and, and, a, and a chest of silver, a midsection of bronze, and then legs of iron, and the feet are mixed of iron and clay. And in this dream, you know, the stone uh, gets carved out and comes flying in and obliterates the statue. It turns to dust and it blows away in the wind. And Daniel interprets this dream of this statue as, as four successive kingdoms, Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's the head of gold, but he's going to be replaced. There will be other kingdoms that come after him. Well, this week, the king makes a statue of all gold as a means of rejecting the vision. You know, he's trying to say the opposite of his bad dream. He's trying to build a legacy, to leave a mark, to say that he's not replaceable. Look at those words in verse 1. Look at your Bibles. Chapter 3, verse 1 where it says, he, he made an image of gold and he set it up on the plain of Dura. Okay, it's not totally obvious, but that phrase gets repeated in our passage. The image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The image that he had set up. The image that he had set up. Well, it's the same phrase from Daniel's song of praise last week. And from his interpretation of the king's dream, where, where Daniel says that, that God is the one who removes kings and sets up kings. And God will set up a kingdom that shall never end. 
Well, here you have Nebuchadnezzar setting up an image, saying, I will set up a kingdom that will never end. And the author is trying to cue us into what he's doing. The king is saying, I don't care what God says. I can set up a lasting legacy. This statue will be a symbol of my power and longevity. See, the king, he, he wants worship. And he demands worship. And this actually gets at the heart of idolatry. So much idol worship is actually driven by self-worship. See, the ancients, they bowed down to idols depicting gods of fertility and and the sea and wisdom and, and war because of what they thought it could get them. It was never about the statue or, or the god. It was always about the transaction, what they could get out of it. Idolatry, what's well, driven by self-worship. Now, at this point in our text, we need to pause because too often we read stories like these and we immediately read ourselves into the protagonist characters, the good guys, and we think about how we can be like them. But we need to stop and realize that we are Nebuchadnezzar. We need to see ourselves in the portrait that we get of him because idolatry is just as active today. We don't have gold statues of Marduk or Nebo, but we bow down to idols of of money or sex or power because of what we think it can get us. We are idolaters. Tim Keller loves to quote Calvin and say that our hearts are idol factories. We can make an idol out of anything. The king's worship was a demand to pay him homage. And his statue was a monument to himself and his legacy. But we too make monuments to ourselves all the time. We say, look at my wealth. Look at my comfort. You know, my 12-foot television on the wall above my fireplace or or my man cave or, or my car. We say, look at my importance. Look at my job title. Look at those letters after my name. Look at, look at my degrees hanging on the wall. Look at my perfect life. Look at my social media profile, how curated it is. This version of me that I want you to see. We say, look at my children. Aren't they so intelligent and so well-behaved? I mean, they can play Tchaikovsky on the violin and they're on three travel club teams. You know, they do it all. Look at my kids. We serve these things and give them outsized influence over our hearts. But it's always transactional. We're serving them because of what they say about us and what we can get out of them. We need to consider how we are not just the three friends, how we might be lured into the idolatry of the world, but also how we can be like the king and set up our own statues or monuments to ourselves. Well, let's keep rolling. From the king's worship, we come to the king's fire, verses 8 to 15. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do not give in. They do not bow down. And this elicits the king's fire. Last week at the end of the chapter, after interpreting the dream, Daniel gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego promoted to head positions in the province of Babylon. Well, this week, it seems that the promotion incites the jealousy of others and gets them in trouble. See, the other career politicians, they have it out for them and they send their hatchet men to to do them in. So look at your Bibles. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province. These men pay no attention to you. 
Okay, these guys are good. They're saying, look, king, you, you gave them this promotion and look how they repay you. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship the statue that you set up. And as we read the story, their plan works. The king, he's, he's ticked. He's in, he's in a furious rage. His face changes later. But he's, he's calm enough to, to give these guys another chance. Okay, he brings them in before him. He says, let's roll it back. Okay, he calls the band in and says, all right, guys, all right. Let's do this again. Let's try this again. The band will play. You bow or you get burned. See, to refuse the king's worship is to get the king's fire. But consider for a second. Why is he so furious? Why the setup with the furnace in the first place? Why does his face change and he's filled with fury in verse 19? You know, his reactions, they're, they're almost as grotesque in scale as the statue itself. I believe that the king's fire comes because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't play along. And their refusal, it exposes his heart and his insecurity. Look at verse 9 in your Bibles. His officials come to him and say, O king, live forever. And inside, the king is saying, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. The king cannot handle the dream that he had in chapter 2. And this statue... It's about more than idolatry. It was justification. He was confronted with his own death. The fact that he would be replaced. The fact that he was dispensable. And he tries to make a monument to himself to be remembered, to be revered, and and to be worshipped. But he can't mask his sickness. He's haunted by his own death. And when these three don't go along with this charade, he can't handle it. And this elicits wrath. To refuse the king's worship is to get the king's fire. But again, we need to pause and consider what the king's fire teaches us. How many of you have had a little less patience the last few weeks? How many of you have had a little shorter fuse? How many of you have found your stress or anxiety break out in fire at others? Are there any hands going up out there in internet land? I know I have. You know, we are living in a surreal time under the specter of COVID-19. And we're all being confronted with the shadow of death. Now this season, it's, it's strange in that we have a wide variety of reactions to the disease itself. You know, some of us are, are if we're honest, we're terrified that we will get it. Or someone we love might get it. And we're scared. Others aren't afraid of a direct threat, but nonetheless are are shocked or discomforted by the world pandemic and the societal shutdown. You know, whether or not you are scared for your life, to go to the grocery store just feels weird. And we might ask, you know, what's happening? Our world, at least in the affluent West, we've pretended that death doesn't exist, that it isn't close or it isn't inevitable. We've ignored our own mortality and pretended it wasn't there. And this crisis has shattered our little game of denial. David Gibson has written a phenomenal little book on Ecclesiastes. It's called Living Life Backwards. And in it, he writes that that we are constantly playing a game of what he calls Let's Pretend, where we pretend that we are permanent and can control the world. And he says the game that goes like this. I'm going to read it. He says this. 
He says, let's pretend that if we get the promotion or see our church grow or bring up good children, we'll feel significant and leave a lasting legacy behind us. Let's pretend that if we change jobs or we immigrate to the sun, we won't experience the humdrum tedium and ordinariness of life. Let's pretend that if we move to a new house, we will be happier and will never want to move again. Let's pretend that if we end one relationship and start a new one, we won't ever feel trapped. Let's pretend that if we were married or weren't married, we would be content. Let's pretend that if we had more money, we would be satisfied. Let's pretend that if we get through this week's pile of laundry and dirty diapers and shopping lists and school runs and and busy evenings, next week we'll be quieter. Let's pretend that that time is always on our side to do the things we want to do and become the people we want to be. Let's pretend that we can break the cycle of repetition and finally arrive in a world free from weariness. Church, I believe we are in a unique window where this game has been disrupted. It's been put on pause. The bubble has burst and we have a short window to consider the truth. We are all mortal. And this is scary even as it is urgent. Now the world around us is trying to cope. And a lot of people are trying to self-medicate with a multitude of distractions. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. And these prescriptions may work for a little bit. Peter Crift once wrote, Death is like a 5,000 pound rhinoceros in the middle of our living room. He writes this, he says, how in the world can you hide a rhinoceros? Easy. Cover it with a million mice. Have multiple diversions. And many people today, they're they're trying to do just that. They're trying to distract themselves from death's shadow. But this crisis is sure making it hard. And church, this is an opportunity. An opportunity to, to gently point this out. To press into the discomfort. To press into the fear and to expose it. Matthew McCullough writes in his book, Remember Death. He says this, he says, Every one of us experiences death's shadow. We feel it in our insecurity about who we are and why we matter. We feel it in our dissatisfaction with the things we think will make us happy. We feel it in our pain over the loss of every good thing that doesn't last long enough. Church, now is the time to point out this shadow while our neighbors are a little more sensitive to it. It's an opportunity to, to expose it and offer hope. Now, we'll, we'll come back to this in just a second, but our story goes on. The three friends refuse to play along and the king's fire erupts. And he asks the key question of our passage in verse 15. He says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And this brings us to our third section. True worships fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response is one of the boldest and faith-filled statements in our Bibles. Verse 16, they say this to the king. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, they say, 
Our God can save us, but if he doesn't, we still won't worship you. But if not, if you're prone to writing in your Bibles, underline or circle those three words, but if not. I love the way they answer the king's question. He says, who is the God who will deliver you? Suggesting that there isn't one. But they say, well, I'm glad you asked. Our God, our God, whom we serve, our God can deliver. But if not, even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. What we see here is what one scholar called moxie before the monarch. These three men, they work for the king as as government officials. They are literally his servants. And they say, no king, we must tell you, we are primarily servants of our God. Notice how they take the king's words and turn them around on him. The king says in verse 15, if you bow down now at the music, I will save you. But if not, fire. Did you catch that? If you bow down, I will save you. But if not, fire. And they reply, verse 17, if you throw us into the fire, God will save us. But if not, we still won't bow. They reverse it. They turn it around. See, the king claims that they are in his hand. And they say, no, 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 no. We are in God's hand. Come what may. This is true worship, faith and trust in God, no matter the outcome. Are you able to utter those words? But if not, think about your hopes. Think about your fears. Will you trust God with your hopes? What you want to happen? Will you lay them before him and then pray? But if not, Will you trust God with your fears? What you don't want to happen. You know, you pray and you ask God to be spared. And then you pray, but if not. This is true worship. Faith and trust in God, no matter the outcome. See, idolatry is all about what I get from the idol. What I get from the deity. What I get from the transaction. A little worship at the idol of Baal and my crops will grow. A little incense at the cult of the emperor. I say a few words, Caesar is Lord, and I get security and stability in the empire. A little deference to my unethical boss. A little smirk at the inappropriate joke. A little understanding and nod at the gossip among friends. And I will get affirmation, belonging, advancement. Idolatry is all about me. And it trades the truth about God for a lie. It trades his glory for a little comfort, a little belonging, a little security. But true worship is costly. It costs everything, but you get everything. True worship gives up self, but gets God in return. See, in their statement to the king, they put themselves on the altar. They say that they are willing to burn, to take the fire, and to offer themselves in worship to God. Well, and that's what happens, at least initially. Nebuchadnezzar is filled 
with fury. And the expression of his face changes. He orders the fire heated seven times hotter so that his, you know, his mighty men from the army who push the three in, they die from getting too close to the fire. Verse 23 ends our section by saying that the three men fell bound into the fiery furnace, the burning fiery furnace. They go into the furnace. They take on true worship's fire. And this is what true worship, this is what faith is all about. Are you familiar with Hebrews chapter 11? It's often called the Hall of Faith. And the author of Hebrews, he goes through this catalog of Old Testament saints who demonstrated their faith in God. Their assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. They looked forward in faith and did marvelous things. And so chapter 11 of Hebrews, it tells of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joseph, of, of Rahab, and Daniel, and excuse me, David, and Samuel. And in verse 34, it talks about our three friends in this passage, who through faith quenched the power of fire. But right after that, in verse 35, it mentions others who weren't victorious. No, by faith, they suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about destitute, afflicted, mistreated. See, the author of Hebrews understands the but if not. The author understands the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That faith means praying for a miracle and trusting that God can save, but if he doesn't, they will still believe. Some conquered, others suffered, but all were models of faith. True worship means facing the fire and putting yourself on the altar. So Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer commented, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. True worship says God before self. Now, this should cause us to consider our thoughts about worship. You know, what we mean when we say musical worship or what we do on Sundays. Too often, our preferences boil down to what I get out of it. And we focus more on style than substance. But worship is not about me or you or what we get out of it. True worship is about God and is necessarily sacrificial. We need to put ourselves on the altar. But as the three friends demonstrate in our passage, true worship also extends to all of life. They are serving God before the king and they serve God in the fire. We're called to serve God in all of life. And true worship is always sacrificial. Romans 12.1, Paul writes this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When I was 19, I was, you know, fired up and ready to give my life to God and go suffer for Jesus. And so I thought, okay, maybe I'd go to a foreign country for two weeks and, and serve and be persecuted, maybe martyred. You know, I would take on the fire. I would be so hardcore. So I went with some friends to Costa Rica and we tried to be so tough, you know, working out in the mud and the rain and sweating and we, we showered in the downspouts in the rain because we thought it was hardcore. And then, you know, we went to the spa at the hot springs. You know, we were really suffering for Jesus, you know, this kind of stuff. But when I came home and walked onto my secular college campus, I was surprised 
that the fire felt hotter. You know, would I speak up for him in the classroom? Would I glorify him among my coworkers? Would I risk being thought of as, as lame or a fool because of my love for Jesus? Man, I was ready to die for Jesus. I just wasn't so sure I was ready to live for him. Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. We climb onto the altar and live for Jesus in the fire, in the heat. We walk into the fire. We don't flee from it. True worship's fire is self-sacrifice. But in it, we can also experience the fire of God. And this brings us to our last point. Verses 24 to 30, the true king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are thrown into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's astonished because the true king shows up. He says, what's going on? You know, I thought we threw three men in the fire, but wait, there's four. You know, in the appearance of the fourth, it's like a son of the gods. Now, before we jump ahead and say, ooh, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, Jesus is in the fire. Let's hold on, okay, because we're not actually told that in the passage. It is some unnamed heavenly being who goes into the fire with the three friends. So we can say this. This is a, a messenger from God, whether it be an angel, whether it be the angel of the Lord, or maybe a pre-incarnate Jesus, no matter who it is, we are supposed to read that God is in the fire with them. Now, when you think about God showing up in the Old Testament, what is one thing that almost always accompanies God's presence? Think about it. It's, it's fire. So we see it at the burning bush. We see it at Mount Sinai. We see it with angels with flaming swords. We see the pillar of fire in the desert. God shows up and there's fire. Now, I love this because in our passage, we see this heavenly being in the fire, but because of all the flames of the furnace, we wouldn't know if, if he was fiery or not. It's kind of masked, but I think he is. God shows up in the fire. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we so often want God's presence. We want his fire, but without the altar, without the sacrifice. But it doesn't work like that. If you want to experience God, if you want a true, profound encounter with his presence, with the true king, if you want his fire, you have to get up on the altar. Well, as the story goes on, not only is there this appearance of the fourth man, but the three friends come out unharmed. The king calls them out. And I love the description in verse 27. Look at it in your Bibles. It says, the, pyre, the fire has no power over them. And they get specific. Their hair was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. I mean, that's so good, that last part. How many of you have, have sat by a campfire? Or maybe you've been around someone smoking a cigar or you smoked a cigar. And, and when you leave your clothes, it's just reek of smoke. People don't want to get near you because you smell bad. You know, these guys, they go into the blazing furnace and there's not even the smell of fire on them. Who is the God who will deliver them? Well, it's Yahweh the God whom they serve. Their God is once again proven to be the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the true king, and not Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if we were to say the end and turn the page on the, on the children's picture Bible or leave this story there, it would be a wonderful 
tale of, of a miraculous survival story. But if we zoom out to the end of the Old Testament, it turns out that in the end, it's not a survival story at all. You know, these three friends, they were saved for a time. But eventually they would die in Babylon. You see, all miracles in the Bible are only temporary until the true miracle, the moment that all the other miracles point to. And so Hebrews chapter 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And the author of Hebrews, he says at the end of the chapter, talking about that hall of saints, he says, And all these, verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They had been a part of miracles. They had seen God work, but they had not yet received what was promised. Something better was coming. And that something better was Jesus. All of the Old Testament examples of faith, were they were saved because of their hope for Jesus, who was still coming. But they all died, not yet knowing what we know, this side of the cross. Earlier, we talked about the king being haunted by the shadow of death. He was grasping for permanence. His, his pandering servants say, oh, king, live forever. But he knew he wouldn't. They all would die. Death, the great equalizer, would leave the king in the same place as the lowest peasant in his kingdom, six feet under the ground. So in a rage, he asks the key question, who will deliver you from my hand? But it's a question that he's asking himself. Who will deliver me? And it's the question deep down that all our hearts are asking. See, we have much that reminds us of our mortality, our dispensability that we are but grass. Difficult things that touch this nerve of our impermanence. Things like unemployment, like being alone, like a bad diagnosis, like sleepless nights. But in the face of all of that, the question is not, who will deliver us from these things that we are facing? The question is, who will deliver us from the overwhelming silence of death and my sin that puts me there? Even with COVID, the question is not, can God save us from this? Because he can, and maybe he will. But another virus will come, or a war, or old age. In the end, death always comes. See, the question of deliverance is not the question of Daniel 3. It's the question Paul asks in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is thanks be to God for Jesus. Thanks be to God for Jesus, who wasn't rescued through the fire but rather he took the fire of God's wrath for us. Jesus had his own moment of, God, you can save, but if not, I will trust you. But his moment came alone in a garden where he pleaded, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But if not, Nevertheless, and the Father's will was done.
On Palm Sunday, the crowds cried, Hallelujah! Hosanna! Lord, save us! And we can hear our voices among them crying out for deliverance. But five days later, those same voices would be crying, Crucify! And we can hear our voices among them. They mocked, saying, He trusts in God. Let God save him. But Jesus wasn't saved. He wasn't delivered so that we might be. He took the fire of the cross so that we could be delivered. When we see that he defeated death for us, that he delivers us from the power of death, well then, the shadow is lifted. It no longer hangs over us. It no longer drives us to protect ourselves with comfort or power or security. And we can give freely. We can sacrifice. We can get on the altar and offer ourselves to him and others. If you want true worship's fire, you need to see the true king take the fire for you. If we want to be those who can confidently say, but if not, we need to see that accomplished in Jesus for us. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for the book of Daniel. We thank you that you preserved it for us. We thank you that you speak to it through us. And God, we pray that you would work in our lives, that you would show up, that we would see Jesus on the cross for us. And that would transform our hearts to offer ourselves to others. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't muster up self-sacrifice. We can't muster up enough love for others. We need you at work in us. We need your fire. So God, let us see Jesus. And would that work its way out in our lives, we pray. In Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Well, church, again, I want to thank you for for joining us this morning uh, through this medium, for for studying God's word together. We are glad you did. And and there's more. Uh, Kevin has prepared our our, our four responses to the text, to God's word to us. And you can find those on the website, uh, whether it's a playlist that you can sing along with uh, prayer opportunities. There's a prayer guide where you can pray the but if not, those bold prayers. There's an opportunity to give and then instructions on communion. And and so church, I want to invite you to respond. Respond to God's word. Students, Austin's going to be joining you on WebEx in just a few minutes. And so you can jump on there and be there with him. Uh, But church, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Go in peace this week.